Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm Bartek. Hey, Bartek. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Why why are you speaking like that, Bartek? Wow. You you said hey, so I was like, yeah, I'll I'll elongate as well. Oh, okay. You're mimicking. Well, that is a form of flattery. So some might Mm -hmm. say the highest. Yeah. Uh, imitation, though, is not a five-star review-worthy thing, but uh, <laughs> that, that was from a previous episode. Bartek, we're here to talk about a movie. We're doing Pictures Power. We've been on break, mm-hmm. just a few weeks off. Last time we were on, you, you recommended a movie at the end, so now we're back here. We're finally doing it. I'm I'm not sorry, but also a little sorry that, hey, Bartek, you, you had, we had to wait for your Citizen Kane-like choice. Yes, that is true, but it's okay. We're, we're back. We had our break. We did a quick televisual event, um, and I believe this is like cycle 18 of our, of our Pictures Powwow uh, cycle of... Me, you, listening people, mm. we've been at it for over a year, and I think we've been going good. Yeah, 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 we've been doing pretty well. So, what was the movie of choice? The movie of choice, as seen in the title of this episode, is Idiocracy from 2006. Ah, okay, interesting. Um, so, for the listening people, we will be talking about this movie in depth, so if you have not seen the film... Give it a watch because we will be spoiling it. Uh, this is a Mike Judge joint, isn't it, Bartek? Yep. So let's kind of talk about him first and then we'll kind of get into Idiocracy. What's your relationship with the, the works of Mike Judge? Um, when I first discovered Idiocracy, I didn't know uh, who Mike Judge was, but I did know about Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill. I've mm. caught some episodes of the latter on TV, um, but it was never, you know, an extensive thing that I watched, and it was never a thing where um, I consciously knew that there was a man behind it named Mike Judge, or that he was the uh, one of the lead voice actors in it too. Mm, mm. So you're saying King of the Hill was the first primary thing that you were introduced to of his work? Uh, yeah, but uh, again, not consciously. I think when I first realized who he existed was probably on my second viewing of Idiocracy, where someone mentioned, like, oh, yeah, this is made by Mike Judge. He made this. So, uh, so what Mike Judge things have you seen now? Um, I've seen, obviously, Idiocracy, a few random episodes of King of the Hill, and we watched, uh, you showed me, uh, Office Space not too long ago. So you haven't seen Beavis and Butthead? No, I think I saw the pilot episode once a few years ago, but I didn't, haven't seen any of the show or its movie. Okay, wow, I thought that would have been something you would have latched onto, especially. But, okay, fair enough. It seems like something you would particularly enjoy, especially you being a bigger fan of, say, something like, you know, South Park, for instance, where, you know, mm. you kind of can lump them in the same ballpark they came out, you know, not at the exact same time, but, you know, they have that kind of feel. Yeah, well, I- I got into South Park late. Maybe I'll get into Beavis and Butthead late. Who knows? I Yeah, Mike Judge. Uh, I knew him for King of the Hill as well. I, I did know who he was because of King of the Hill because I'm like, oh, this guy's, you know, his name's all over the place. And uh, then I found out later, the, oh, yeah, Beavis and Butthead because you look at King of the Hill and you look at Beavis and Butthead, they're very different um, styles and approaches um, to things. But there's still that classic you know this person created this like mike judge's voice is still echoing throughout the both of them and same with idiocracy like i watched idiocracy a year or two after it came out a friend gave it to me and i didn't realize it was mike judge until way later i was like oh that was mike judge movie and then i was like oh that makes sense that makes sense like he he has a very um, I don't know he, he he has a very interesting approach to things. He's always commenting upon something, you know, with Office Space. Uh, I think personally the best movie he's he's done. Um, I think you know that one's great, and it's commenting on that kind of office, you know, office space work environment that you know people have to endure. And it, you know, a lot of his work has a kind of um, 
wholesome, cynical edge to them, like this movie. This movie is surprisingly, you know, wholesome and nice, but it's also rude, gross, and cynical about the world. Yeah, I think I remember reading sometime years ago um, that uh, certain uh, demographics in America, um, when they look at King of the Hill, they, they feel that, like, it shines a sort of sense of representation towards them. So mm. I, I guess that could be something that could be seen as his style. Um, where I'm at now, I don't quite fully grasp uh, the extent of his style, but definitely from the three things I have seen, I'm sort of you know, in the process of seeing it. So, Idiocracy, when was the first time you saw it? It would have been at the tail end of me being in high school, so potentially somewhere between 2009-2011. Mm. Um, my mum worked with this one guy who was a super tech guy, and he would burn a lot of you know, movies, put them on CDs and hand them out. Um, and he said that I think for him, Idiocracy was his favorite movie. Um, and I hadn't heard of it when he told me about it. And he described, uh, you know, what it was, um, the premise. He didn't fully explain that it was like, you know, a comedy film. Um, but it was a film where, you know, in the future, uh, everyone is dumb and society is in a total dystopia. Um, eventually he gave us a burnt copy of it and that was my first viewing of it. Okay. Um, I enjoyed it then. And the, the, for this show, I think it was my fourth viewing. My second and third was showing it to other people that I think would like it. Um, and I think all the people I showed it to really enjoyed it. Yeah. I was going to ask what that the reaction was from others, because this is one of, uh, those kind of, uh, Movies where I've looked up and I've talked to people, it has a surprisingly divisive reaction. Like, some people really like it, some people really don't. Like, everyone seems to agree that the the core concept is really interesting, but it's about the humour, because this is a comedy film, and mm -hmm. comedy is a very subjective medium, and with Mike Judge's style of comedy in general as well, he's very, you know, you're either, you're either in with it or you're not. He, you know, especially, like, look at King of the Hill. King of the Hill has a very, very dry sense of comedy. Um, mm. while, and Beavis and Butthead have a very juvenile, you know, reckless, silly comedy styling. And this, and, and this movie, Idiocracy, kind of leans towards more the Beavis and Butthead style, but that core concept at the center of it really grounds it all into being a lot smarter to me than the dick jokes, say, mm -hmm. would yeah. let you believe. Yeah, and definitely as the years have gone on, 14 years since it was released, um, it's certainly a big topic that people like to bring up sometimes when comparing to the real world. Mm -hmm. I've heard multiple people say things like, um, you know, as a reaction to something that, like, befuddles them, they're like, oh, man, Idiocracy was a cautionary tale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, so I saw it, uh, maybe in, uh, a couple years later, one of my friends, uh, was over my house and they had a burnt copy of Idiocracy as well. Um, I guess that's the way it was meant to be watched. Well, according to stuff that I read online, apparently its release wasn't the best. No, no, no. <laughs> oh boy. And I watched this film, it was from a friend of mine who, uh... Uh, didn't have a very particularly strong taste in in movies, so I was a bit skeptical because he just he was one he's just one of those people who just you know he's watched movies, but he doesn't really he didn't really have at that time a very strong taste of his own of movies. Just like if you're having a movie day and he'll bring a movie, it'll just be some generic movie that you know we've all seen and you know whatever, but nothing exciting. And um, this was uh, very different, and I was surprised, and I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was very fun and funny, and I was glad that that my my friend had found it, someone who I didn't expect to find a movie like this and bring it over and uh i watched it with uh with him and my parents and we all had a very good time and uh i i you know that's one of those movie watching experiences that you recollect on and it was a a positive time it was it was it was a bonding moment between me and my friend and uh 
uh, it kind of opened up new avenues of movies that we would watch together as well because that gave me a, a better sense of his tastes in movies um, and uh, so that kind of was fun to have. So I've revisited this movie several times since then and it's just a great little movie. It, it has a it has the interesting premise and it just follows it uh and you know there there are jokes along the way uh that are iconic or, or quoted or well liked but this movie it is interesting in the fact that it has such a poor release uh, a lot of people didn't know it existed and but over time it seems like even if people haven't seen the movie they do know of it now yeah which is great because for me it was quite. I was there. It was quite a while for people to even know about the film. But now people maybe they haven't seen it, but they know what idiocracy is. They know the idea. Um, which to refresh Bartek, what is the plot of this movie? Uh, so the plot of this movie is that our main character, played by Luke Wilson, uh, and a uh, sex worker, uh. Played by Maya Rudolph. Yeah. Played by Maya Rudolph. Uh, In the year 2005, they uh, volunteer for a military experiment in which they will uh, basically go to cryostasis for a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is for the purpose of uh, basically guinea pig testing. Like, uh, the military want to put the best people in cryostasis to put them in the future, but they have to test it out on some average people. Mm. Um, and he's the most that, average Luke Wilson's character. He yes, is. you get a extensive uh, explanation of how average he is. <laughs> uh, middle of the bell curve all the way. Uh, but something goes wrong very soon after they get put into cryostasis and their pods are completely forgotten about mm. until they open by happenstance 500 years later in 2505. Uh, mm-hmm. And the world is completely different. Uh, mm. uh, it's completely filled with idiots, basically. Yeah, the core concept is the fact it's an interesting perspective on eugenics in a way where the dominant strain of humanity was idiots that bred. And mm. over time... Intelligence has faded away while idiocy is the dominant um, being in the world where everyone is so dumb that society and the world is just falling apart. And it takes uh, two heroes, but mainly Luke Wilson, to try and fix the world. But the thing is, he's just an average guy and, you know, he doesn't believe in himself. But by the end of the movie, he goes through an arc. And he yeah. believes in himself. <laughs> yeah, not. I know we're jumping straight to the end, you know, at the beginning of this episode. Mm. But yeah, this film has a narrator, um, mm. and the narrator's final words are very nice. Little, you know, he was only average, but he did a good enough job. Yeah, he, you know, he got the ball rolling, and that's pretty good for an average guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and speaking of that narrator, the film opens on this uh, basically like a documentary excerpt. Um, basically outlining mm. the whole idea of uh, dumb people are breeding more, whereas intellectual people are being held back by, you know, various aspects of life. The, mm. the examples shown in this excerpt are a couple that aren't ready to have kids yet, uh, juxtaposed to these, like, uh, redneck-type characters oh, yeah. who are constantly breeding. And it's even though those characters aren't, you know, characters in the film, that uh, segment... Uh, sets up the idea of the film pretty effectively. It does it very well. Um, Of course, you have the narrator saying a lot and those characters saying a lot, but the story is being told visually as well with the little little bubbles that pop up on the screen of the lineage growing or deteriorating over time and stuff. And Mm -hmm. that is a fun way of communicating across this idea. And just, you know, it is played broadly and that is idiocracy a lot of this is played very broad but the fact that it's playing so broadly um really hammers home the intellectual points that the film is trying to communicate across 
Uh, especially that opening sequence, you know, just it gets more and more absurd. Like the smart intellectual guy dies because he had a heart attack while jerking off so that he could inseminate his wife. <laughs> Meanwhile, the hillbilly guy gets fucking injured and they perform, you know, an operation on him and his, and his dick still works. And then immediately you see like more children pop up on the lineage. Yeah. <laughs> Just with that being said, it's just bing, 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 bing. <laughs> Amazing. The, the screen gets filled with uh, heads. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Idiocracy has that brilliant idea of uh, de-evolution, basically, that we, instead of evolving into superior beings, which is often what you see in uh, lots of science fiction, we devolve into primal instinct idiots where we are beyond belief stupid mm-hmm. uh and that is such a great great idea for a sci-fi story and this stupid comedy film i think it achieves it i think it follows through on that promise of what you could do with this idea and it delivers on it it, it goes exactly as hard as it needs to with this i think yeah, for a funny film, when I think of it, I mostly actually think about the the futuristic world that it sets up and presents. Yeah, like, I, I find it funny, don't get me wrong, but uh, like with a lot of Mike Judge's previous works, especially Office Space, it's one of those ones where there's lots of funny things, but it is a comedy that wants you to think. <laughs> it, it may distract you with how juvenile, and look, he's Dax Shepard, and he's being a dumbass. But that idea, the center of it, of if we continue being this ignorant, this is what could happen. And it's a great idea. We keep saying it, but it's it's, a, it's an interesting exploration of what could happen to humanity. Because there are those points where we've lived in the world where you see dumb people and you feel like, oh my god, is this all there is? Is yeah, this you think, everything? Oh god, idiocracy is a cautionary tale. Yeah, you think of it as a cautionary tale, but... You know, even before Idiocracy came out, we've all felt this at some point. It's just uh, Mike Judge witnessed something and he decided, that's it, I'm going to make a movie as a cautionary tale of this. And this film, every election cycle in America becomes more and more relevant again, especially in the Trump era of things, um, as the cautionary tale of, well, this is where the world could go if we keep being this stupid. If only Trump had a motorcycle. Oh, if only if only Terry Crews was president, yeah. <laughs> president Mountain Dew Camacho. Yes, yes, yes. Five times SmackDown champion of the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I I love the world. Let's talk about the world of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you like about it so much? It it's funny because the the lighting of the future has this almost kind of sepia wipe on it. Mm. It's very, very yellow, very dirty looking, um, which gives off this impression of like, you know, an old school sepia tone film, but it's meant to be the future. Um, You get, I think your first time you see the future, you just see um, the, the mountains of rubbish that it has. Mm. And, even looking at all the parts of this world where it's not the junkyard, um, it's all just incredibly dirty. Uh, it's all incredibly covered in artificial ads. Consumer, uh, yeah, consumerism is rampant all over it to the point that some characters are named after ads. Well, they um, literally con- speak nothing but slogans of ads. Yeah, constant slogans. It's what plants crave. Oh, yeah. Um Welcome to Costco, I love you. Uh, Carl's Jr., yeah. Carl's Jr., uh, buttfuckers. <laughs> that was also a good gag. The The military base becomes fut... What was it, like, futbuckers or something? Futruckers or something stupid. Oh, yeah, yeah, futruckers. And then as the dec- uh, centuries go on, it eventually evolves into buttfuckers. Well, the, the, the friendly establishments evolve into vulgar sex terms while the... Stuff like normal stuff like Starbucks 
evolves and devolves into gross sex industries where if you say oh starbucks people will react to you like oh man we don't have time for that but sure you can go to butt fuckers <laughs> that was a, i really like that starbucks joke yeah i mean I, <laughs> every i like the costco joke where you get that shot and it just it's huge and it just never ends and it takes you like hours upon hours to get to certain locations because it's so big it was gigantic yeah the um, visuals of this film there are large uh landscapes that are sometimes empty sometimes packed with rubbish um it, it's it's dirty Everything's it's dirty. dirty. Like you said, it has this kind of yellowy, orangey tinge, which yeah, reminds one of the past in a way where you you know sepia tone or whatever. But also, it is kind of like they've dunked the lens in some muddy water and they've just left it like that. It is, it is gross to look at on purpose. I've often complained in movies about the hues of a film being not pleasant to look at, especially like Zack Snyder films, say. I don't like his muddy, uh, diluted uh, hues and tones and saturation. But in this film, it works because that's actually the point. Mm -hmm. Um, And they don't do it to such an aggressive degree either. Um, That also helps. But that's the point. Like the the, the future is gross and um, not a place you want to be. But it also gets a bit better as the movie goes on. Like things they lighten up a bit. The film looks like the world looks nicer by the end, as does the the saturation and the hues of the film. Like that kind of evolves too, just subtly. Yeah, the, the plants were very green. Oh yeah, yeah. But like at the end when he's in the Oval Office, right? Mm-hmm. It's not got that brown tinge to it, the film. Yeah, when he's giving his speech and all that. Yeah, it looks like how it did at the beginning of the film, kind of visually telling us that things can go, you know, go the right way. Which, mm-hmm. you know, great. And did idiocracy, did idiocracy need to put that effort in? No. Did it, though? Yes. <laughs> yes, it did. I love the... F- fashion of the future where everything's like baggy and silky and smooth um i just love that i love that um people have their jobs on the sleeves of their shirts all the time (laughs) i like that touch it's really great it complements well when the narrator explains that the language spoken in the future is a mix of and he just lists off Mm you know, a linguistically challenged uh, groups like rednecks and, and people that use slang and stuff like that. So the bagginess, you know, complements the slang angle there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's very, <laughs> very rampant throughout all the professions. Yeah, and I like that, that um, you know, with with it too, with the, the printing of uh, the the brands that they have on their clothes, like lots of people have different brand company logos all over their clothes and they have their jobs printed on their sleeves and that really kind of matches that also warning of consumerism is very rampant to the point where these people are literally tattooed as well, like they're branded on their skin as well. Um, mm-hmm. Not with uh, companies, but with their own names and identities so that they can be tagged and catalogued like products as well, mm-hmm. um, which is great. I, I love that aspect of Idiocracy's world building, just looking at the clothes and just being able to think about how the clothes like that relates to the tattoos, which the tattoos become very important in the narrative. It, it comes up time and time again. Justin mm-hmm. Long. Ah. Uh, he was so good. <laughs> I wanted more of Justin Long. One scene wonder. That's Justin Long, though. You always mm. want more of him, but we never get enough. I, guess. I think both he and Dax Shepard were in Old Dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, um, uh, Justin Long was great in um, uh, 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 Zack and Miri make a porno as, like, the big porn star guy. And he had, like, that right, really husky right. voice. Yeah. <laughs> Not enough of him in that, though. But 
yeah, I love the world of idiocracy, especially just aesthetically too. Like everything's dirty. You see in the background dumb things going on that the film doesn't focus on. It's just like if you notice this, you're gonna have a like. There's a joke happening in the background for you if you're a keen-eyed viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, again, did it need to do that? No, it didn't. But it did it, and it adds to the film. Um, and again. It is wonderful that they fucked over their product placement people by having the products in there in the most horrid of ways. <laughs> That's my favorite trivia point about the film, about how a lot of them were really upset and didn't want to be in the movie, but too late, Costco. Too late, Starbucks. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, Wasn't it originally meant to be like Walmart or something? Yeah, yeah I, I want to say so. But like, I love that. It's it's great. Because that, that also adds an authenticity to the world. Like, there's fake companies as well. But it adds an authenticity because, you know, Starbucks and these big branded companies that are just everything's overpriced. And it adds to the authenticity of how stupid society has become that these things, these these companies have become this big and they're now devolved into just sex, mm-hmm. which is obviously, you know, sex sells. Hence, you have ads that are like, you know just sex or you have ads that are like the other form of advertisement where it's like uh, peer pressure and aggression where it's like get this or fuck you <laughs> Which... yeah even even the um the voice that you hear that like you know is at the atm says fuck you <laughs> did you have a favorite joke in this this time on this viewing did you have one that really got you um one that blindsided me was just when uh when when Luke Wilson and Maya Rudolph were going to be put in their pods, Mike Judge just walks by and is like, he's like, hey there, niggas, or something, and just completely surprised me because I forgot that he says that. Mine was also that character where he talks <laughs> about um, his little speech Upgrade? about getting friend, becoming friends with Upgrade. <laughs> that whole thing, I, for- I always forget about that joke, and it makes me laugh each time. Just, you know, you've got you to gotta earn their trust. And he just, his whole thing about being about pimp life and all that, it's just amazing. <laughs> I love that gag. And then my, one of my favorite gags of um, in the future, like um, when, the, you know, when he's in the land of idiocracy and just a part of the world that I, I, I truly like is him going to prison and how he escapes prison by just saying, like, uh, I'm actually supposed to get out, and he just, like, walks out. <laughs> I always remember that one, yeah. I, I love that. It's just so silly and so dumb. And I also love the build-up to that, where you have the guy outside sitting on the people, and then he, like, points to Luke Wilson. He's like, this is going to be you, <laughs> just to let him know. <laughs> and that's all that guy does. Like, the guard outside, when, he, when um, Luke Wilson justifies... That he's supposed to be out because it's like I've had that guy sit on me and everything, and the the guard just kind of nods like, mm-hmm, yeah, that sounds accurate. <laughs> like the the guards know. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I um, we got to talk about our main boy Luke Wilson. We're Luke mm-hmm. Wilson fans, aren't we? We like him a little bit. We've mentioned we've had him a couple of times on the pod already. And we've yeah, well, brought up our infatuation with him. He's he's probably my favorite Wilson ter- in terms of actual acting. Mm-hmm. I find him charismatic. I find him charming. I think he is the better actor out of all the Wilson brothers. Um, I like Owen, don't get me wrong. He's fun. But I think Luke has this everyman quality about him. Hence, it works really well in this film. This is probably the ultimate Luke Wilson film. This- yeah, when I think of Luke Wilson, it's this. Uh, I want to say this, but I, I grew up with him being um, Kelso's older brother in that 70s mm-hmm. show, and he will always be Casey Kelso. Yeah, I, I've watched that show a million times, and just little bits I remember of him. I really need to rewatch watch He doesn't four. do anything extraordinary, but he's just Luke, Wil- he's Luke Wilson's the shit out of it, where he's just effortlessly charismatic. And next to Ashton Kutcher, that's really great, because, you know... Kelso tries so hard to be the ladies' man. Like, he's always overtly trying. While Luke Wilson, he doesn't need to try. He just walks in and he goes, hey, 
and you just buy it, you know. And it works in this film particularly well as uh, particularly well. Like you like Luke Wilson, he he's such a likable presence, but not in the same way Owen Wilson is. Where Owen Wilson comes across as like a a, a dumb puppy dog that you found and you just want to cherish. Well, Luke Wilson, he just feels like just like a nice neighbor, you know, or a yeah, guy that he... will help you out with your roof. In mo- yeah, in moments in this film where he is thinking or confused, it just feels really natural. Like when he's about to get the tattoo and he wants to explain, like, you know, I'm, I'm really not sure what's going on here. There, there's the scene with Justin Long where he's piecing <laughs> together <laughs> that he's in, you know, 2505. Yeah. Um, yeah, just like you said, effortless. He, he really nails this averageness, um, <laughs> but also realness, like real average luke wilson especially in this is the ultimate person you cast as your average protagonist the protagonist who's just an average person because you you buy into it so much that you don't really notice the fact that luke wilson's jacked and he could beat you up you just look at him and go that's that's schmuck i mean i bet he'll figure it out especially when you have dax shepherd next to him you're like oh god (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is also the ultimate Dax Shepard role. This is Dax Shepard in his like this is peak, Frito Pendejo. Peak Shepard, I would say. This is this is what I go point to when I go now da- this is how you use Dax Shepard. He likes money. He likes money. Hence he made chips. And he likes and he likes sex. And he likes sex, hence he made chips. And if and if you like both of those, then he will want to get along with you. Isn't that the way the world works? Yeah, I mean, we like Luke Wilson, and look at us. Luke Wilson said, oh, wow, in the movie a few times. Did you get flashbacks to Owen Wilson? Um, no, I don't, I don't really think so. Nor I, did I, I, I was, Wilson... but I paid attention. I was like, he said, oh, wow, the iconic, you know, Owen line. Wow. Yeah. And he and says I'm, it I'm with the, the we- same accent, but different delivery. Yeah, I think maybe at times I did hear, like, his vocal inflection resemble his middle brother. Um, yeah, but when I think of Owen Wilson, Oh Wow isn't really what I go to. It's just, like, moments where, like, he's speaking, but, like, really quietly. You're thinking of father figures. <laughs> I'm thinking of moments where he, like, talks a bit softly like this to explain you're Derek Zoolander. <laughs> that, that kind of stuff. <laughs> That's a great, specific Owen Wilson impression. I've never heard that from you, I don't think. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe it's because we're doing it remotely. Yeah, that's it. You don't want me to see you physically do it because you get the Owen Wilson nose when you do it. Like, it inverts and expands. It's really odd. I smile at weird moments when I do it remotely. Yeah, like Owen does. He has weird smiles. But, uh, yeah, Idiocracy. Uh, great uh, film. We, um, what, do, what do you want to talk about now with it? Um... So the film does have moments where it very blatantly like presents its <clears throat> presents its message to you, like um, when Owen Wilson is in prison the second time. You mean Luke Wilson? Spe- Shit, we've talked about Owen Wilson now, and the curse is on me. Uh, the, <laughs> the Owen, Luke the Owen is- curse, yeah. The Owen curse. Um, he's in prison the second time, and he's talking to Maya Rudolph, and uh, when he's telling her like, "When you go back into the past," because the, the big part of the plot is that they're looking for a time machine that apparently exists um he's telling her you know tell people to read to tell people to paint um and i think he use delivers their use their brain and just all these very simple things which when you juxtapose it to everything you see in this dystopia and everything you've heard about this dystopia it rings a lot of sense into your into your head and i mm. think that that is effective and somehow the way it's presented doesn't really feel that, you know, hacked, hackneyed or tacked on. It feels very genuine and appropriate. I think it feels less hackneyed than it could have, considering who it's coming from. You know, our character, he has been the average guy who doesn't really want to step up to leadership, to step up to actually be the guy who says the message of <laughs> the f- movie. And that's a lot of protagonist roles, you know, the 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 denial, you know, like I'm, you know, uh, refusal of the the call, right? And mm-hmm. 
But again, because Luke Wilson's so effortless, that's why they call him One Take Wilson. He he just him saying it and and where we've seen that character journey go. It feels believable at that point that he's like, oh my god, I'm going to fucking die here. But at least if I do, someone can save humanity. Jesus, like, he's just he's just fed up with the world as we are at that point in the movie, too. Like, you know, there comes a point later on when Dax Shepard gets, you know, goes to Starbucks. And you, the audience, like, it's funny, but you also go like, oh my fucking god, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Just do the thing. <laughs> yeah, the the danger of the climax is elongated by the fact that Dax Shepard is stupid and has forgotten the really important thing he has to do. Yes, yes, and that's the world, right? There, a lot of the problems is because stupid. Um, Terry Crews, we got to bring up Terry Crews. We do. What was the first thing you remember seeing Terry Crews in? Because he's a very recognisable figure in everything he's in, because he's a big, muscly, scary black guy who's very <laughs> silly and fun. But what's the first thing you remember seeing him in? It's similar to what we were talking about earlier. The, there are people that I have seen in something early on, but I don't really become too conscious about them overall until way later. I think for mm. me, Terry Crews is like that as well. I think I would have first seen him in White Chicks. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and you, but you're not 100% confident on that? How could you forget I'm, him I'm, in White Chicks? No, no, I'm pretty confident that White Chicks is the first thing I've seen that had Terry Crews in it. Um, but it was later down the line that I saw him in other stuff, and I realized, oh, he was in White Chicks. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, yeah. Like, for me, I, I saw him in White Chicks, and it cemented who he was. And then I discovered he was in movies that I'd seen previously, like the Arnold Schwarzenegger action film, The Sixth Day, the one where he has a clone. It's about cloning, mm. and, and, and uh, Terry Crews is one of the henchmen in that, and he has like a, he's funny in that movie. Very, very funny. Like, he's only minor, but I, re I remember that character very fondly. When I, when I think of that particular movie, I think of that Terry Crews character, but I didn't recognize until later that that was Terry Crews. I'm like, of course it is. It's a big, you know, Terry Crews is a very recognizable look. But when I saw this movie, I had known who he was. I had seen uh, Everybody Hates Chris. He was the dad in that show. And, of course, White Chicks. And I was like, oh, Terry this is his whole thing, and I love it. There, it, it. Like, when I saw Idiocracy, and I saw that they cast Terry Crews, that kind of elevated the movie, because it was, like, perfect. That's perfect casting. Who else would you put as the president of the exactly. dumb world? <laughs> <laughs> Not to say Terry Crews is dumb, and he often plays, actually, pretty intelligent characters, like in Everybody Hates Chris, but... He is also very good at being that kind of character. Yeah, he's got an energy to him that can make some people go, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, do that. Like, we loved and him in Friday After Next. Yep, that's what I keep thinking about. That's also another movie I think of him for. Um, but <laughs> I loved him in this movie. I really appreciated his performance re-watching it this time around, especially with how there are brief moments, just brief ones, where you can tell that he is the smartest dumb guy in the whole movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's not obvious. Like, they don't ring that out. There's no moment where Luke Wilson goes, hey, you're actually pretty... No, 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 no. It's just every now and then he'll turn off the five-time SmackDown champion of the world persona that he has to lean in and remind you, hey, this guy actually kind of deserves to be president of this dumb world. <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't have any, like, dumb inflection, like, oh, man, anything like that. He he speaks very clearly. Um, he, he Everything he says has purpose. If he's unsure of something, it doesn't devolve into, like, silence or awkwardness. It just devolves into dancing and yelling. <laughs> yeah, every time he speaks, he knows how he's going to end the sentence. He's like a Baptist minister type, right? Especially when he's leading, when he's doing the random singing and the... And the random kind of vocal inflections at the end of sentences where it's like, yeah, and all that kind of stuff. He, he really nails that. He nails mm -hmm. that in the future, those kind of, uh, those kind of religious f speakers, especially like your televangelist types, would logically be the leaders of the free world in the dumb <laughs> world. 
Yeah, I didn't think of that. That's true. Um, but yeah, Terry Crews is amazing. I think everyone's pretty pitch perfect in this. The one person I wanted more of, other than Justin Long, and I think you know who I'm going to say, Bartek, it's Stephen Root. Mm-hmm. Did you recognize him in the movie? You have a real Stephen Root blindness, but did you recognize him when he came up? Um, He's in all Mike Judge things, I'm pretty sure. So it made sense he would be in this. No, I, I don't know who he was. He was, was the he? judge at his I trial. He looked familiar. He looked so familiar. I'm like, do I know who this is? But when I was looking up the cast list, I couldn't see We're going to have to take you to the Justin Long's doctor's office to get diagnosed with Stephen Root blindness. Like, I know Stephen Root's one of those actors who he's in everything and, you know, he can change his appearance very well. But to me, I'm like, oh, it's always Stephen Root. Like, I'm, I know. Oh, that's Stephen Root. He always has a very specific... I don't know, to me, he's very recognizable, and especially, like, he does multiple different voices, but to me, I'm like, oh, that's very much Stephen Root, but you constantly, constantly, you're like, who is this guy? I don't know. I didn't know Stephen Root was in Red State. I didn't know Stephen Root was in Over Her Dead Body. Like, it's always, you never know. (laughs) I swear to you that this time, I was transfixed on this character, being like, who is this? I know who this is. Who is this? I loved him. I loved his hair. I loved his sideburns. I loved his voice that he decided to do for this movie, where he came across to me as, like, an old Looney Tunes character. Like, someone, like, like one of those old cartoon um, wolves or foxes that you would see in those old 30s cartoons. Or, like, he would be friends with Foghorn Leghorn or something. Like Yeah, I was thinking that. Just that voice he chose, it really reminded me of those old type of cartoon characters. And with the hair, the way it was, it kind of reminded me of that even more so. And just, I love the way he would play with his giant mallet. Like, how he's postulating over the... Like, he's considering both arguments, but you know he's not. He's an idiot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I swear, I was trying to look up who that actor was, and I didn't even see Steven Root anywhere in the cast lists I looked at. It's really weird. (sighs) He's there. It was him, baby. You you just, you know what, I bet you, you looked at the cast list and you saw Stephen Root, but then you got Stephen Root dyslexia and it just changed all the letters around and you're like, oh, I guess it wasn't Stephen Root and you just kept scrolling on. If, if Stephen Root's name is on the Wikipedia article for this film, then I think you are right because <laughs> I did not see it there. There's a glitch in the matrix. That's yours. <laughs> like, There's a glitch at the root of my head. Ooh, control alt delete that joke. Uh yeah, idiocracy. I also like that the time machine, it was very obvious that there was never actually a time machine because how could there be in the world of idiots like this? And I like how the film just kind of shows you what it is. It also has one of the great jokes about the un <laughs> iconic uh, and, uh, you know, many iconic jokes in this movie, if you've seen it, like jokes that stick with you, like, yes, they're dumb and silly and they repeat them a lot, but that also kind of is the point, but like, you know, they have electrolytes, it's what, it's what they crave, all that, but I love the fact that the time machine is just a stupid ride that's inaccurate, and of course it's a machine that isn't a time, an actual time machine, and Dak was like, come on, <laughs> Like, for a smart guy, you're pretty fucking dumb. Like, of course there isn't one. Uh, yeah, I was I was impressed that, uh, you know, inaccuracies in their history aside, they did at least know what happened in the 19th, uh, 20th century. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good for them. Good for them, yeah. But at, And earlier when Dax Shepard wrote the map for Luke Wilson and Maya Rudolph, and he wrote machine wrong, it's the same spelling on the actual ride. <laughs> I didn't notice that touch, actually. I kind of missed that one. But that's pretty good. Um, anything, any negatives you have for this movie? Honestly, not really. Like, even even though I find this film funny, I'm more transfixed on, like, the world, uh, the performances, the just everything coming together. I just find it a really good time. Mm. And every time I rewatch it, I'm like, yeah, this world and yeah. you know, a few things I've forgotten. And it's almost like I'm sort of re-experiencing it again. Yeah. Like for some reason, I didn't quite remember that he was on the run for most of the film. Oh, so yeah. there were a lot of gags that came about from that. Like I knew obviously that he had to be arrested again for various reasons, but for some reason it just didn't click in my head that he's constantly being chased. 
I yeah, I enjoyed the movie. My negatives are ones that I don't actually affect my rating and review and feelings of the movie, but they are there. It's cheap. Mm-hmm. The movie's cheap. Lots of green screen. Lots of obvious green screen. Lots of not even great special effects for the time. But again, I'm not expecting this to be Avatar, right? This is this is Mike Judge's idiocracy, okay? And it adds mm-hmm. to the charm. But for some people, that may get in the way, and sometimes it does for me. Uh, sometimes for me, the message is a little bit too overwhelmingly hammered in. Sometimes I'm like, I do get it, Mike, I do. Um, for me, there are some moments where it does that. Uh, I... Uh, as much as I like the rehabilitation segment, I kind of, I don't know, like, if it had a bigger budget, I kind of wished it leaned in heavier into the cheesy elements you could do from that. Like, there's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie called Running Man, and I'm not saying I want that segment to be more like Running Man, but also I kind of do, because it's just kind of two big CGI things that ram into each other, and that's it. And mm-hmm. that segment holds up a lot of the third act, where, and it's kind of really simple. Although I do like uh, Beef Supreme. I do believe it. Was that his name? Beef Supreme? Yep. I loved that guy. Uh, I'd never realized that that was Andrew Wilson. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'm used to seeing Andrew Wilson. Like, he's not in enough stuff. Like, we've had Andrew Wilson on before, right? He was in, I want to say, Around the World in 80 Days. I I think in uh, Father Figures there was like a soft-spoken bellhop, and I yeah. think you said that that was Andrew Wilson, but I didn't know if you were joking or not. I, no, it was, and I want to say he was the other... Was he the other Wright brother, or was that Owen in Around the it World? It was Owen Wilson. Okay, cool, cool. I couldn't remember. I, I swear he's also in another one we've done on the is, pod. Isn't... Wait, I think he might also be somewhere in Around the World in 80 Days. Is he like a homeless man? I can't remember, but uh, I'm pretty sure I've had... But yeah, I... Those are my negatives. Uh, You know, I also... I kind of do want it... Like, for me, I do understand the criticism of the joke part of it. Of, like, the jokes. To me, it's not as overwhelmingly funny as other Mike Judge projects. I find this to be probably the one that I laugh at the least. But it's the one Mm -hmm. I appreciate the most. And that and Office Space. I think I like Office Space more than Appreciation. But to me, like, Office Space has more jokes, as does King of the Hill, as does Beavis and Butthead, as does Silicon Valley. Like, to me, this is probably the one that I laugh at the least. And, you know, it is a comedy, but I still find myself very much enjoying the experience. But, you know, just to bring it up out of his work, I do find this the one that I don't find as particularly funny as the others. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something to bring up. But other than that, that's all I have to say about uh, Idiocracy. There's just a lot going going on in the film. Uh, what about the post-credits? What did you think of those? That, you know, I'm actually not sure if I've ever seen that or not. I just cannot remember if I've ever seen it. Did you watch so it there's this a time? Running... Sorry? You watched it this time, though? Th- this time I did, yes. Um, so throughout the whole film... Uh, obviously, at the beginning, we learn about Upgrade, the pimp, who Mike Judge befriended. And throughout the entire film, Maya Rudolph is talking about how Upgrade is going to kill her when she, when he finds out that she's been gone for, like, 500 years. And obviously, the joke there is that, like, oh, he's long dead. He's not going to get you. But she keeps bringing it up throughout the whole film. And then the gag at the very end of the credits is he has woken up in a pod and he... <laughs> all her worries were completely founded. Yes. And it's a great little... Did you find it distracting that Mike Judge, when he played the the, the, the general or military guy, whatever rank he was, that he kind of reminded... He reminded me of, of, a, of an older Matthew Broderick. Did you notice that? Or was that just me projecting? He seemed familiar, but I don't know if I was thinking Matthew Watch Broderick. Watch the scenes again, and imagine that's Matthew Broderick. I think it... I, I don't know, he reminds me of, a, like, you know, like, Stepford Wives <laughs> Matthew Broderick. Like, weird inflections, awkwardness, kind of like the the embodiment of what that joke is, of the ultimate white guy trying to embody, you know, gangsterisms. He reminds me of Matthew Broderick. <laughs> Just, you watch it again, he reminds me of Matthew Broderick. I don't know why, Jess does. Alright, I think I also read that he was the um the rehabilitation announcer. Cool. Uh yeah. 
That's it. Uh, Bartek, thanks for the recommendation of Idiocracy. It's been a couple of years since I've revisited it. It, it is one that is always a good time to revisit. It has a lot to say. It's a cautionary tale, but it is a silly, fun movie. And it's also nice to see some of these comedic actors, you know, before they made it big or like them proving themselves. Like, I like Maya Rudolph a lot, but I don't know. It's been a little while since I've seen her kind of step out of her shtick, I guess, is the thing. Like, a lot of these people like Dax Shepard and Maya Rudolph and a few others, Justin Long even, they, you know, they've like all these SNL or, or American comedians, they fall into their persona or their comedic style and they just kind of ride that out for ages. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to see Maya Rudolph in something like this where this isn't what I usually associate her playing. And it was kind of nice to see that. And, you know, like I said, this is the ultimate Dax Shepard performance and, and Justin Long's great too. Um, <laughs> and Stephen Root, mwah, my golden boy. Uh... Uh, now, Bartek, I think it's time for recommendations. Uh, I think it's my turn, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, and if I'm not mistaken, next time we enter our annual spooky month. Where we choose movies that are spooky or horror-themed or feeling in line with the month of October. Uh, and since it's my turn, I'm going to kick us off in our spooky month with a 2014 movie, The Guest. Uh, okay. With starring Dan Stevens. Yes, Dan Stevens. Uh, so that'll be the topic to kick us off into spooky month. So make sure to check that out, listening people in between, so you're all caught up on our discussion. Uh, Bartek, where can the listening people find us on the social medias? You can find us in most of the usual places. We are on Twitter, we are on Facebook, and you can always email us at spitandpolished at gmail.com. Once more, that is spitandpolished at gmail.com. Yeah, feel free to hit us up on those socials or our email. We, we take in listening people's recommendations for films. We are always up for discussions and chats with you. And yeah, we have extra posts and fun stuff that we put on the social medias you can rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you're listening to and if it allows it it's very much appreciated if you do it just helps us and our egos uh bartek any wise words of wisdom you want to leave us off on this episode nah 